down there. So just on behalf of Shauna Hansen uh, and myself, who uh, work in the Office of Vocations and Stewardship, it's good for, uh, it's good for us to be here uh, together. Uh, just before we begin, I always like to always make reference to Bishop Bruce's uh, spiritual guide to the diocesan priority plan, uh, our, kind of our three to five year plan, uh, through him, with him, and in him. And then there's different foundational ministries within the church. And one of the foundation ministries uh, is that understanding of vocations uh, and evangelization. And it says that the Christian vocation is really a call to the discipleship. And the way that Sherry Riddell puts it, it's kind of dropping your net, dropping everything to follow Christ with your whole, your whole mind, heart, and soul. And so this, we're all called to, to drop the net. We're all called to, to give our, our, our lives to Christ completely, totally, abundantly. Uh, but it happens gradually, as we all, we all know. Uh, it says, uh, Vocations are communicated, discerned, accepted, and lived out within a community. And not only a community of faith, but a, a family, uh, a parish school. Uh, and so we gather tonight as the, the body of Christ, in the Diocese of Rapid City, from different families, right? Uh, from different parishes to learn more deeply of how do we create this culture of vocations? How do we nourish it? Not only for our young men and women, but also uh, to nourish the sacrament of marriage. And then it says, uh, Bishop Gru says, in the diocese where vocations are flourishing, there resides a culture that has created an environment for young men and women to view their priesthood and religious life as a viable way of life and to view uh, sacramental marriage as a vocation centered on Christ. You know, even our vocation prayer that the family, husband and wife, becomes this domestic uh, church, uh, this small uh, church uh, in, in a home. Um, I, I love this part. Such an environment has, in some way, awakened the hearts of young people, and that the heart of this environment is a relationship, a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, and a relationship that we have with one another as brothers and sisters. And so you're going to hear Father uh, Brett Brandon talk about this relationship uh, tonight, this call uh, uh, to give our lives to Christ out of love and, and let ourselves become uh, this gift. Uh, I've been at the vocation doctor going, I'm just finishing my third year, uh, and so I'm still kind of a neophyte, still kind of uh, getting my, I, my feet wet. And my first uh, conference I went to, I heard Father Brett Brannan speak, and I was just kind of moved. Uh, he kind of touched my heart through the, for his voice, but the, the Holy Spirit living and dwelling within uh, him really touched my heart. And so as each parish is supposed to create a, a, a vocation uh, committee, uh, Sean and I just wanted to bring Father Brett uh, here to share his wisdom, his love uh, of Jesus Christ in the church. He's very passionate about that, and I, I know that you will go home tonight uh, touched. You will go home uh, inspired uh, uh, to create in a more deeply way this call uh, to give our lives to Christ, this, to build this culture of vocations. So I'd like to introduce Father Brett. It looks like my PowerPoint is going away again. Father Brett. Who is that? Pam. Pam, sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. That's, I'm Pamela Weaver. I'm from Our Lady of the Black Coats in Canada. 
Can you figure out what happened? Oh, did you? Something happened. This is not supposed to be there. Is this your... Uh, is yeah, this is the way the format I wanted it in. That's great. So I'm very happy to um, be with you <clears throat> this evening. And um, Father Mark has um, given me a tour of the whole diocese. And we've been traveling all over. And, and I've, really, I've really enjoyed it. And um, you know, I was, I was telling Father Mark one of the things that I noticed as I was the vice rector of, of Mount St. Mary's Seminary for six years. One thing I noticed is that the men from North and South Dakota were always very, very fine among our finest seminarians. And I always remember, uh, you know, saying to the rector, you know, um, there's good stock out there. <laughs> You know, I see good, these good, solid men. They love Jesus Christ. They love His church. They're manly. They're polite. You know, they have great human formation. And so it's a great privilege for me to be here uh, with you this week and to talk to you about vocations to priesthood. <clears throat> uh, a number of years ago, when I was first a vocation director in Savannah, I attended a uh, vocation director's convention, as Father uh, Mark was talking about, um, and Cardinal Bevilacqua um, spoke to us. He was, of course, at that time Archbishop of Philadelphia. And he addressed us. And I'll never forget, uh, he, he began his talk by telling this true story about a newly appointed bishop. And he said that this uh, newly appointed bishop came to his new diocese and realized that they really needed priests, you know, like your diocese and like mine. And that, you know, something really needed to be done. And so he kind of passed a, a kind of a, a rule that he shared with his priest. And he said to his brother priest, he said, Now, whenever I come to the parish to do confirmation, I'd like for you to have five young men from your parish sitting in the part of the tradition was the bishop and the priest would, uh, the priest would have supper together. And then he, would, he said, I would like to speak to five young men, you know, high school and college aged, just fine young men who go to Mass and who love the Lord, just healthy fellows. They don't have to be thinking about priesthood. They don't have to be thinking about anything. And he said, I want to talk to them for about five or ten minutes before the confirmation. And so we began to travel around the diocese and he would speak to the five young men. And one day he gets out uh, to a confirmation, a little tiny parish way out in the country, and he and the, he and the pastor had a very nice supper together. And after the supper he said... Uh, to the pastor, okay, where are the five young men that I'd like to speak to? And, um, and the pastor said, I'm sorry, Bishop, we don't have anybody in this parish that wants to be a priest. And the bishop said, well, I, I didn't say they had to want, to want to be a priest. I just said, give me five young men who come to Mass and who love the Lord. And he said, sorry, Bishop, we don't have anybody. And the bishop said, well, then we're not going to have a confirmation. And the priest said, Father, Bishop... He said, the kids are already over there right now. They're lined up waiting for the picture. What am I going to do? He said, i tell you what you're going to do. You're going to get on the phone and get me five young men into this parlor. And the pastor went... (laughs) And he went into his office and he made two phone calls. Just two. To two 
very nice families with quite a few children. And it took about 20 minutes. He had five young men sitting in the parlor. And the bishop spoke to them for about 10 minutes and personally invited them to consider becoming priests for the diocese. And then he went over and celebrated the sacrament of confirmation. The bishop ordained three of those five priests for that diocese. We're going to talk tonight a little bit about the importance of invitation. And the importance of you all, I'm so grateful for your presence here. Some of you were telling me you've driven 200 miles, which you say is not much in this state, but <clears throat> a long way. And I just want to say thank you very much for coming. And thank you for, thank you for loving Jesus Christ. And thank you for loving His church. And thank you for loving the priesthood. And I know we're talking about religious life as well, but forgive me if I've talked most about priesthood because that's been most of my life um, is I've been working in priestly formation. Um, just a little bit about myself. I am from. Uh, I was born in Louisiana. My mother was from New Orleans, and she was raised by the Jesuits, and she was a very, very staunch Catholic. And my dad went down there to Tulane to play football, and he didn't do too well in football, but he met my mother. <laughs> And he married her, and I was born there, and we moved back to the farm in in Savannah, Georgia, or in the countryside of Savannah, Georgia. And so I never stepped foot in a Catholic school in my life until I went to the seminary. And I was the token Catholic in my class. Whenever there was a Catholic question, everybody turned and looked at me for the answer. And um, I, uh, I grew up working on a farm, and so my father's Baptist, still today. He's Baptist, though he goes to Mass every Sunday with my mom and the grandkids. But he's technically still Baptist, he says. And um, I, I grew up, and I, won- I had a wonderful blessings and a wonderful childhood. My mother was very devout. We went to Mass every Sunday in our church. Our entire parish church was just a little bit bigger than this room. And every Sunday, my mother was, came from New Orleans, where it's such a Catholic culture, you know. And now she's in Statesboro, Georgia in this tiny little Catholic church. And every Sunday, my mom would say, go see if Father needs someone to serve. I said, you know he needs someone to serve. He never has a, a server. Go. <laughs> and I served Mass just about every Sunday with my brothers. And, um, and I loved it. And I loved being a Catholic. And I was raised on a farm, and we had dogs, and we had horses, and we hunted, and we fished, and we played sports. I had so many wonderful blessings, great education, and I always felt... But you know, I was very grateful for my father for teaching me how to work. He instilled in me a very strong work ethic. God has made us to work, and um, it's something that's, I think, very, very important. But I got my faith, uh, as I said from my mother. And um, I, uh, I'll never forget, as a, as a 12-year-old boy, my grandmother, uh, grandfather died in New Orleans. And I went down to New Orleans and for the funeral. And uh, I'll never forget, we walked out of the mass, the funeral mass, to get into the, to the limo to go to the cemetery. I was sitting back there with my brother and, and my sister. And all of a sudden, a young priest jumped in the front seat. And the young priest jumped in the front seat and he just put his arm on the, on the handle and he turned and he looked back at us and he said, I love being a priest. He said, I love being a priest so much. When I die, I don't even want him to write my name on the tombstone. I just want them to write a priest of Jesus Christ. And then he turned back around and I went, wow. 
I'll never forget that story and how inspired I was because I already was feeling an attraction uh, to the priesthood myself. And in high school, I had just a wonderful education and I played sports and got girlfriends and uh, I really thought, I knew God wanted me to be a priest. I felt it, but yet I was kind of running from it. So I said, nah. I said, I'm going to go. I wanted to be a doctor. I was always in my mind how hard I wanted to be a doctor. I was fascinated by healing. And so I went to the University of Georgia and pre-med. I began to study and I became an EMT. You know, that's the guy that drives the ambulance and pick, goes to the wrecks and picks up. And I'm, oh my gosh, I love that job. And I saw a lot of blood. And I saw a lot of people die. And as I would be in that ambulance on the way home and knowing this person was going to be dead on arrival, and I began to say, I wonder if they're ready to meet Jesus face to face. Because ready or not, they're going to. And the Lord began to speak to me in my prayer and saying, you're right, you're right. I am calling you to be a doctor, but not a doctor of bodies, a doctor of souls. And that love for healing has has been a part of my life um, for a long time. And I went to the seminary after college, left the seminary twice, stayed out for a couple of years. I was finally ordained a priest in 1991. When I was a vocation director, my mom would say, how did, your, how did you do this year? How many men do we have going into the seminary? And I'd say, oh, two guys backed out at the last minute. And my mom would say, and you can say what about that? <laughs> Thanks, Mom, for all your compassion. But I was ordained a priest in 1991, and I've absolutely loved it ever since. 26 years I've been a priest. And um, I was made vocation director like one year after ordination in Savannah. And I was the vocation director for 10 years, which meant I talked about priesthood. And I worked with young men and gave retreats. And then after 10 years of of being the vocation director, I was sent up to Mount St. Mary's Seminary in Emmitsburg, Maryland. And I was the vice rector um, of Mount St. Mary's for um, six years. And about four years, six years ago, I was called back home. My bishop called me back home to Savannah. And uh, today I am the pastor of Blessed Sacrament Catholic Church in the city of Savannah, not just the diocese, but in the city, most Irish parish in the entire diocese. My first Sunday there, good morning, Father, we're the, we're the O'Malley's, this is Bridget, this is Liam. And I'm just like, whoa, I've never seen so many Irish in my life. And, um, but a lovely pair, it's been there 100 years, 440 children in my Catholic school, and, um, and I've absolutely loved it. You know, um, when I was only ordained a priest for um, less than one year, I had the most memorable day that I ever had. And that day was a day that I got a phone call on a Saturday morning from the police at about 6 o'clock. And they said, Father, we need you to come to this address because one of your parishioners has taken his life. And um, 6 o'clock in the morning... I drove to this, to this address. I didn't know who it was. And I discovered that it was, it was one of our, our young boys that was in our youth group. And he had gone and locked himself in a closet and taken his father's deer rifle and, and just placed it and shot himself in the head. And I'll never forget getting out of my, my car that morning. And as I was walking across the lawn, the family came running across the mother and father. 
came running across the lawn, screaming, Father, help us. And, you know, I had to, to go in and to give the, the young man the sacrament of anointing the sick and whatever I could anoint, you know. And um, immediately we just started praying the rosary with the family. And after we finished the rosary, um, we were able to start talking and try to start making some plans. And I spoke with them. I stayed there until about 10.30, and then I had to go. And the reason I had to go is that I had a wedding. It started at 12 noon. And I will never forget, as long as I live, coming out and standing at the front of that altar with the groom, and the, and the music started, Here Comes the Bride. And I look, and here's this beautiful bride in her white dress, happiest day of her life. And that morning I had been with another family on the worst day of their life. And I remember saying to myself, only in the Catholic priesthood. Only in the Catholic priesthood. And what a privilege it is um, to be a Catholic priest. So I want to talk to you a little bit today about vocations and about how God calls us um, to do the work that He's calling us to do because uh, it's, it's very important. You know, Pope Benedict writes, Nothing can replace the ministry of priests in, in the heart of the church. Because of the Eucharist, because of the sacraments, it's the way Jesus set up His church. You know, a number of years ago, Cardinal Hickey, I went to a lot of those vocation conventions, Cardinal Hickey gave us a, a talk, and I'll never forget, he told us a little fictitious story. He said, um, after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, he said, Jesus was standing on a cloud one day, and he was standing on the cloud, and there was an angel standing next to him, and they were looking down at the earth. And the angel says to Jesus, Jesus, what are those 12 tiny lights I see down there? And Jesus said, those are my 11 disciples and my mother. And he said, it is my plan that those 12 lights will bring my love and my goodness and my mercy, my salvation to every human person who ever lived and ever will live. And the angel looked back down and he said, there sure is a lot of darkness down there, Jesus. He said, what's plan B? And Jesus said, there's no plan B. This is how Jesus Christ has set up His church. He has set up His church with, with bishops, with priests. He has given a priest a tremendous power. A priest functions in persona Christi Capitis Ecclesia, in the person of Christ. And that's why a priest doesn't say, Mass on Sunday, this is, Jesus said this is His body. The priest says this is my body, doesn't He? And a priest doesn't say, Jesus forgives you for your sins. He says, I absolve you of your sins. But because the priest functions in the person of Christ. And especially in the Holy Eucharist. I said to my kids the other day, 440 children, first Friday Mass. Our children go to Mass every day during Lent, and which is great. And then um, there's at least two or three classes every day at Mass from my school. And um, the other day, we had the first Friday, the whole school there. And it just struck me at the end of the Mass, before the final blessing, I, thought, I said to the children, I said, you know, I said, I love being a priest. I said, do you realize, with the 440 children and all their faculty and the parents that were there, I said, there are over 500 people. I have just filled the soul of 500 people with the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And it's not even 10 o'clock yet. I said, can you believe they pay me for this? Now, the Eucharist 
is everything in the Catholic Church. The Eucharist is everything. Because the Eucharist makes us one. It makes us one body with one another. We're united with each other. We're united to Jesus, aren't we? And this is so important. You may have heard of Flannery O'Connor, the great Catholic uh, writer. She was from Savannah. And Flannery O'Connor is famous, you know, as she was beginning her writing career. By the way, one of my parishioners was in her first communion class. She showed me your picture. So, um, so, but um, Flannery O'Connor grew up, and, and she grew up in Savannah, and, and as she was budding into it as a young Catholic writer, uh, one day she was invited um, by another writer who became rather famous, or I, I should rather say infamous. Her name was Mary McCarthy. Now, Mary McCarthy wrote a book and became very famous. And the name of that book, and I don't recommend it to you, was My Catholic Yesteryear. And it was a terrible book about how horrible, how much she hated the Catholic Church and how she had terrible things that happened to her, forced upon her, etc., growing up in the Catholic schools. And I'm so sorry for that that happened and that was her experience. But she wrote a book and she made lots and lots of money with that terrible book. And she invited this young writer, Catholic writer, to come and she came and said just to try to encourage her. And so Flannery O'Connor was there at supper that night. And they were eating. After supper, they began to chat and the Catholic faith. They turned on the topic of the Catholic faith. And Mary McCarthy said, The Eucharist is a nice symbol, but nothing more. And Flannery O'Connor stood up and said, If it's a symbol, the hell with it. The Eucharist is my life. And she walked out. Did I mention she was from Savannah? Isn't that awesome? Wow. Why is the Eucharist our life as Catholic Christians? Dr. Peter Kreef, the great Boston College philosophy professor, and he's written, I don't know, 50 or 100 books. He's such a genius. I love Dr. Peter Kreef. And Dr. Peter Kreef says that every year when the, when the freshmen would come into Boston College, these are Catholic kids, Irish Catholics from Boston, most of them been through 12 years of Catholic education. He would always give them a little survey and he would ask them certain questions. And one of the questions he would always ask them, he would ask them is, if you were to die right now, why would you go to heaven? And Dr. Peter Kreef says, 90% never mention the name of Jesus. 90% after 12 years of Catholic education, they don't know that it's only Jesus. We can't earn heaven. We can't deserve heaven. Heaven is a gift that the Son of God has won for us. And this is one of the things I want us to talk about as we promote vocations, the first thing we have to promote is who Jesus is and that relationship with Him that is absolutely essential. The Catholic Church is bleeding out of both nostrils. 80% of our young people leave the church by the time they're 23 in the United States. 80%. Why? Because we have assumed that catechesis is the same thing as discipleship and it's not. You can have a doctorate in theology and not know Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, you're not 
You can't be saved. I always give the image. I always when I teach my children in my Catholic school. I say, you want me to tell you how you how why a person goes to heaven when they die? I give this little analogy. And I say, okay, let's pretend like I die right now. And I wake up and I'm standing right next to a train and the train says heaven. And I'm standing there next to Jesus and Jesus is holding my hand real tight. In fact, He's holding my hand so tight that the blood from His wound is on my hand and He's holding me tight. And the conductor is standing there and the conductor says, tickets. And remember, every ticket has to be perfect because there's nothing in heaven that's not perfect. And I think to myself, I'm in trouble. I'm not perfect. And the conductor says, tickets. And Jesus hands him his ticket. And he says, thank you, Jesus. He said, what about Father? And Jesus says, Father's with me. And the conductor kind of shifts from one foot to the other. And he says, well, hey, Jesus, you're the Master and Lord, but now you're the one who gave me these rules, and I've got to obey the rules you gave me. And it says right here that everybody has to have their own ticket. And he looks back at the passenger list for a minute. And then he looks up. And he says, Jesus, where did Father go? Where did that priest go? And Jesus says, He's one with me, and I am one with Him. And then the conductor says, Oh, in that case you only need one ticket. And Jesus gives him his ticket and we get on the train. Now, simple analogy but it explains a very important theological truth. Everything in the Catholic faith is about union with Christ. Every one of the three sacraments of initiation is about union with Christ. And communion means to be in union with Jesus Christ. He is the reason we go to heaven and there is no other way. And that's what we have this the relationship with Jesus. I grew up, you know, and all my Baptist and Methodist friends, you know, they're, all, their language is always going to be, are you saved? And do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? And you know what? They're right. That personal relationship with Jesus is so important, isn't it? That we know Him and that He knows us. And this is something that we really have to spend time talking to our young people about. I say to my kids in my school, if you graduate from 8th grade and Jesus is not your BFF, right? Your best friend forever? Which means you love Him and you talk to Him. Catholics sometimes are very good at saying prayers, but they're sometimes not so good about praying. Really talking to Jesus from our heart. Having a personal friendship with Him. Do you see what I mean? And this is why... Sometimes our Catholic schools don't seem to work. You know, I made an A in math, put that, I don't have to think about that anymore. I made an A in science, put that, and I don't have to think. A in religion, don't have to think about that. Are you with me? That we can treat it like a subject as opposed to the real person um, with whom uh, we have to have that relationship. And so everything in the vocations has to start here. With every parish, every school, Everything must be centered on not assuming, asking, encouraging, and teaching our young people to have this very true relationship. St. John Bosco was a, was a great saint in the Catholic Church. Um, St. John Bosco used to say, and he ran these oratories for boys and all, St. John Bosco said he, he believed that one out of every five young Catholic men was called to become a priest. 
That's what he said. Now, that's no, nothing's infallible about it, but he was a saint of the Catholic Church. But let's just pretend he was uh, exaggerating a bit. Let's just say it was one out of ten. Heck, let's just say it's one out of a hundred young men in our parishes who are called to become priests. And they did become priests. We would have so many priests, we would not have assignments for them. Oh my gosh. Jesus Christ is calling enough men to be priests in our church. It is not an, this is not a question. It's a fact. We know it. Why do we know it? Because Jesus always answers our needs. He doesn't always give us our wants. Because sometimes we don't want the right thing. But He always gives us our needs. And we need priests in our church. And what the Lord has invited us to do, what your bishop is inviting you to do, is to work with Father Mark to develop and to do our part, right, in bringing those who are called, not undue pressure and those that are not called, right? Remember the old system, and I never was in it, I never went to Catholic schools, but some of the priests in my diocese that are lifers, you know, high school, seminary, college, seminary, and they were in, and they were in the old uh, parochial uh, system, and they had, there were the, the sisters that taught there, you know, and... The sisters, you know, it's like they would... And my mother used to teach me from the Baltimore Catechism. And I like the Baltimore Catechism. It's got great pictures. And I learned a lot about my faith, you know. But there were times in the old catechisms when the theology wasn't, wasn't what it should have been. I mean, there was kind of this idea of... Showed this guy and said, you might be called to do this. And had a picture of a priest, you know, with a, sh- a light shining around him. And then it would say, but if you're not, you could still be called to this. And it shows him married. I'm like, What? <laughs> You think holy marriage is not a a wonderful sacrament, a vocation in the church? Of course it is. You know, when I was vocation director, young men would come up and say, Oh, I would become a priest, but you know, you priests have to make too many sacrifices, so I just I just get or get better get married. I'm like, hello. (laughs) Do you have any idea what marriage is, what Christian marriage is? It's very, very sacrificial. And you're like, tell me what I don't know, Father, right? And so I think we have to understand, we have to have a proper understanding of what a vocation is and how God calls us. I always say to the kids in my school, I know I'm going to get to my PowerPoint in a minute, um, is that I always say to the kids in my school when I interview them like at the, um, for their, uh, their, their confirmation interview, I'll always say, to the young people, tell me four gifts God has given to you. And they'll say, oh, I'm a good athlete. I'm a pretty good student. Um, you know, I'm a kind person. Well, that's a great gift. I'm a good singer. Whatever they say. Okay? And I'll just say, okay, those are great. Those are four gifts that God has given to you. And I affirm those gifts. All right? And then I draw another line going in this direction. And I say, I want you, with your gifts in mind, I want you to think about the needs of our world, the needs of the church, the needs of your family, and of your friends. Because where those two lines intersect, you will find your vocation. God did not give you those gifts for kicks. God gave you those gifts to make this world a better place, to change the world forever. Every person is called to change the world forever. Every person. And the greatest person is not the person with the greatest gifts. It's the one that does the most with the gifts they've been given. 
That's the providence of God, isn't it? And so to help a, under, a young person to understand God is calling you to change the world forever, especially maybe they don't have as many gifts as the next boy or girl in their class and they feel a little inadequate or something. And always remind them that God can... You become a saint. You're going to change the world forever. And I always see an example of somebody that can sing like a bird and they're very beautiful and they go to Hollywood and they, they, they're all over the television and radio and they make millions of dollars and the next thing you know they're divorced five times and they're a drug addict. God did not give you those gifts for yourself. He gave you those gifts to make this world a better place. And that's what God calls all of us. When we teach vocation from this angle, do you see what I mean? Every child says, oh... God has a plan for me. And, and the first hint is the gifts He's given to me or the gifts that I need to look at um, in that regard. Today, um, in the United States, let's see if I can get my little PowerPoint going here. Oh, i got to turn it on. Uh, that's not what I want. I'm going to find it here in just a minute. This is Pope Benedict. Nothing can replace the ministry of priests in the heart of the church. Um, and it's so essential because of the way God has set up His church. Okay? And this is a... Nothing can make a priest, can make a religious except God. But we have to do our part... St. Paul writes about this. I always say that any work in the Catholic Church is going to be about 99.9% God's grace and 0.1% our human effort. I may be exaggerating our part. So, you think about that. I don't want to go through all these statistics tonight, but right now we're losing 70 cents on the dollar. In the United States, for every 100 priests who die or retire, only 30 priests are ordained. Not because God is not calling them, because we need to do our part. Yeah, granted, it's a secular culture and there are a lot of reasons that work against that, right? And we have to do our part, especially within our, within our, um, our, uh, uh, our parishes, etc., etc., to, um, uh, uh, to try to take down those barriers. I always will talk about the, um, the theology. I teach in the Theology of the Body Institute, um, and I especially teach... Uh, with priests. I talked talk to priests about their priestly identity based upon the lens of St. John Paul the Great, uh, the theology the theology of the body. And one thing to always remind them of is this very fact. This is the genius of St. John Paul II. He says that God forever and ever in heaven, God has been a trinity of persons. Jesus told us this. And that means that God the Father always did two things. God the Father loves and He gives Himself as a gift. That's what God did. And God, from in from all eternity, God the Father loved God the Son. And He loved and He gave Himself as a gift. And God the Son loved and gave Himself as a gift to God the Father. And that mutual exchange of giving everything we have begets God the Holy Spirit. And then, 
know, who knows how long God existed forever. God one day decided, I'm going to make man and woman on the earth. And God created man. And God said to man, I made you in, let us make him in our image and likeness. And that means, man, we're going to make you to do two things. We're going to teach you, we're going to make you to love and to give yourself as a gift. And then God created woman, the equal in the life of grace. And Adam, before original sin, knew exactly that he was to love her more than he loves himself and to give himself to her as a gift. And Eve understood before original sin exactly that she was to love him more than she loved herself and give herself to him as a gift. And what does a human person have? They have a mind and they have a heart and they have a soul and they have a body. That's all we got, isn't it? That's all we are. That's a total gift. And so I always say and when our young people, when they're dating, they go out on a few dates, right? And they really like this guy or this girl and they kind of, they're laughing and they get along real well and they say, huh, I think we may be something going on there. And then a few months later, if they keep dating, one morning they wake up and oh my gosh, they're struck, stricken, aren't they? Call it falling in love. Now they're one in mind and they're one in heart. There's a famous expression, there's seven locks on the human heart and the first always opens silently. You know what I mean? Our hearts can attach without our knowledge and permission and when we command it to unattach, it doesn't obey. It's true, isn't it? Prophet Jeremiah said a mouthful when he said, there's nothing more tortuous than the human heart. And then this couple comes down. Here's their souls, baptized souls of a man, baptized soul of a woman. And they come down to the church and they exchange their consent and they become one now in mind, heart, and soul. And then they go on their honeymoon and they become one in body. And they're giving themselves completely as a gift, just like God. And eventually comes a child. Wow. And we have to teach our young people You will never be happy until you love and give yourself as a gift with everything you have. God made the human heart to be given away. We're made to serve. And we're never going to be happy until we do that. And that's why the the United States, as one Catholic writer says, the United States is the land of perpetual adolescence. People don't grow up. They don't mature. And as long as we're the land of perpetual adolescence, we will be the land of perpetual sadness. Because joy means doing what God made us to do. To love another person. To give ourselves completely. And that's why I always remind you, when I was first made a vocation director, you know, I would always say to the young man, well, do you think you're called to be married or do you think you're called to be uh, uh, a priest? But after I studied the theology of the body, St. John Paul II... I no longer say that. Now I say, to which marriage are you called? I am a married man. For the last 26 years, I have given myself mind, heart, soul, and body. The ontological change in a priest when the bishop lays his hands on your head. Our soul is configured to Jesus Christ as head of the church. And I say it every day, this is my body. And I have to give everything to the bride of Christ. I am a married man. 
And that's why they call me father. I got 440 children. And now I'm 55 years old. They ought to call me grandfather, Brandon. Are you with me? This is a very real spiritual paternity is just as real, if not more, than physical, biological paternity. And religious life is the same. Every vocation is about giving yourself as a gift, loving and giving yourself as a gift. But here's our problem. In a secular culture where people don't grow up, you can't give what you don't have. Nemo dat quod non habit is the Latin expression. We use it in the seminary all the time. Until you possess yourself, you can't give yourself as a gift. And in our parishes, we have to help our young people grow up, mature, and learn. It's not about you, right? And that maturing in Christian virtue, right? Growing in Christian virtue, loving the people around us, you know. I was talking to the college some of the college campus ministers this afternoon we were talking about, I said, you know, college students love to hang out, but they're not good at coming back in. You know what I mean? Not taking responsibility and and doing uh, those, those types of things. And so we have to frame vocation, I think, for our young people in these terms, you know, and show them this is what God made you to do. Now, Gaudium et Spes 22, Second Vatican Council says... Jesus Christ alone fully reveals man to himself and makes his supreme calling clear. Only Jesus can show us who we are and what we're called to do. And so if they don't know Jesus, guess what? Archbishop Sheen called this existential neurosis. It means, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Go to any high school. Go to any college. What am I here for? What's the meaning of life? Great questions. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Do you have any more questions? (laughs) And that's not an oversimplification. It's true. Jesus is the only thing that can fill the human soul. He is the only thing that can fully fill us. I always tell the story of the one little Catholic couple that came to get married, a little Catholic girl, and she was getting married to a Baptist because there are not too many Catholics that get married to Catholics in South Georgia. And um, she was a sweet little girl, and she came in, and I'll never forget it because I said, I said to her, well, tell me, why do you want to marry this fine young fellow over here? And oh, she was cute. And she said, oh, Father, he's the most perfect guy, and he's so sweet, and he's so good, and he fulfills me completely. And I went, no, no, no! I said it kind of with a smile so she knew I was teasing her, you know. But I said, don't treat him that way. He's a good man. Don't do that to him. And she's she's laughing, but she's like, Father, what did I say? Only Jesus can fulfill you. We have a saying in the Irish community, a bad start is a quick finish. If you start marriage thinking that this man can feel fulfill you, then in six months you're going to wake up and say, he doesn't fulfill me, I better get rid of him and get somebody else. Do you see what I mean? And I said, and you can't fulfill him. The primary relationship in marriage is always with Jesus. The wife with Jesus, the husband with Jesus, the kapax day, the capacity for God in the human soul can only be filled by Him. 
He is the way and the truth and the life. And once you possess Him and He possesses you, back to union again, and receive Him in Holy Communion and tell Him you love Him and listen to Him and ask Him to guide you in your decisions and tell Him you're sorry when you sin and your relationship with Him is so intimate. Now you're ready to get married or become a priest or a religious because now you can give yourself as a gift. Are you with me so far? And so <clears throat> this whole idea of how we bring this message, I think, to our young people is so important and because it's the thing. I always say to my 8th graders as they're graduating, I said, I have a dream for you. My dream for you is that you'll wake up in 25 years and in 50 years and you will say, I am so proud of the man or woman I've become. I said, I want that for you. Do you want that? And they're like... And I say, Jesus has the power to do that for you. If you stay close to Him and one with Him, He has the power. My mother used to always say the greatest gift in the world is to be able to go to sleep every night with a, with a clean conscience. Boy, isn't that the truth? You know, to become the person that God calls you to be. You know, when Jesus says, be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect, you know, if you look at the original Greek, it doesn't mean, that perfect doesn't mean you can never have any imperfection or any sin. We're all sinners until we die, aren't we? We're all sinners. The Greek, what it Greek indicates is that we become everything God made us to be. That we learn to love like God loves. So, these are the, the, the ideas that I think, you know, yeah, right now things aren't going well, but you know what? Jesus Christ has risen. We win, remember? And so don't forget that right now in the United States, we have about 5,000 seminarians, and these are 2016. Um, very few high school seminarians any, anymore. There's only a few, in, mostly in religious orders. But for the last 10 years, we've been actually holding very steadily and slowly increasing in the number of seminarians we have and this is uh, religious as well as, as diocesan. Um, but I always say motivational statistics. Um, as of 2016, again, around 67, was around 70 million Catholics in the United States, about 22% of the total population. 37,192 Catholic priests in this country alone. That's a lot of priests, isn't it? 37,000 priests. 17,233 Catholic parishes. Is that not amazing? 17,000. Just like your parish where Jesus Christ is proclaimed and babies are baptized and people are fed with God's Word and with the body and blood of Christ. And people are buried. 17. You think the Catholic Church is not strong? You better believe it's strong and Satan knows it's strong. And Satan can read Scripture, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. You better believe he's going after priests. And he's going to try to discourage them. And he's going to go after those seminarians. Yes, it's true that 3,500 of those parishes do not have a resident priest. Well, that means 14,000 do. And tremendous good is being done. I do a lot of priest retreats now. I'm back in the parish. I do about once a month I come and do something like this. Most of the time, I give retreats to priests and to seminarians to go to, to seminaries and things like that. And, um, uh, and I see these priests from all dioceses. They are so fine. 
these men love Jesus Christ so much and they love the church so much. Are they discouraged? Yeah, sometimes they're a little discouraged. And yet, I believe very, very strongly that that God has called me. I was in priestly formation for, for 16 years and and I believe that God has called me more now to priestly reformation, which means to work with my brother priest and care for them because a priest has so much power to do, <clears throat> so much good. Oh my gosh. You know, and, and a lot of times we priests don't feel very powerful because, well, people are living together, not going to Mass, they're leaving the church, and we kind of get discouraged and that kind of thing. Listen, there is no one in the world as powerful as a Catholic priest who can say the words, this is my body and God Himself comes down from heaven. And who can say, I absolve you from your sins. Oh my gosh. And so, sometimes it's good we can't see just how successful we are, I think, you know. I said to the priest this afternoon, St. John Vianney, our patron saint, said, "Um, you know, um, if you really could know what the priesthood is, you would die of love. And I've had priests on retreat say, well, Father, I'm not dying of love, so what am I missing here? (laughs) You know? And I think seeing this truth of what the gift of the priesthood is, because this is how Jesus Christ has set up His church, um, to to love and take care of His people. You know, I know He's calling enough priests in the Diocese of Rapid City to take care of His people because He loves you and He loves your children and He loves your grandchildren. And Jesus Christ has the power to take care of His own. There's no snatching out of His hands. But He thirsts for our trust. And He thirsts for us to do um, the part that we need to do. So, a lot of good things happen. I already mentioned the 5,000 seminarians. Matthew Kelly has a great line. Nothing wrong with the Catholic Church that cannot be fixed by everything that is right with the Catholic Church. We have so much good, don't we? So much good is being done. Uh, through the Catholic Church. And I ask sometimes, I'll ask, uh, if I have a, a crowd that I'm speaking to, I'll say, tell me the first thing that comes to your mind if I say Catholic Church, you know. And Oh, sometimes, pe- people that are not Catholic, you know, and they'll, sometimes they'll say, oh, well, the Pope, or they'll say the scandal, or they'll say something. And I'll say, why didn't you say 3,000 Catholic hospitals that take care of more people than any other institution in the world? Why didn't you say, take care of uh, all the schools that we run? So much good is being done in the Catholic Church, but we don't see it because we're in our own little parish, right? And sometimes I think we tend to forget that. Power of a priest at his battle station. Oh my gosh. Statistics says 90% of Catholics who go to Mass receive 90% of their information slash inspiration from Sunday Mass. Now, what that means is that most Catholics who go to Mass, they don't go to Bible studies, they don't watch Catholic TV, they don't read Catholic papers, and they don't do all the other wonderful things we offer. Most Catholics who go to Mass do one thing, and they receive 90% of their inspiration and that information from what we do on Sunday. Isn't that something? Wow. And so, the great work of what it means. Um, I've already talked about that our work in the church is 99.9% God's grace and 1% our effort. I love this little prayer. I call it the prayer of Moses. God, I can't, you can, and you promise. You know where it comes from? It comes from the Exodus. Moses is standing in front of the Red Sea. Right? He can't go forward because there's an ocean. He can't go back because here comes Pharaoh with all his chariots. And what are the people doing? Griping. Why did you take us out of here to die of thirst? 
And Moses looks up to heaven. In so many words, guess what he says? God, I can't. You can. And you promised. I say that many times as a vocation writer. Because we can't make vocations come, can we? We can pray for them. We can do our part in the invitation, etc., etc. But we can't make them come. We've got to be given the mercy of God. I was telling the priest this afternoon that Father Benedict Groeschel, um, he once picked up Mother Teresa, now St. Mother Teresa, at the airport. And he was taking her somewhere and he told me, he said, I so uh, Mother Teresa turns to him suddenly and says, Why did you become a priest? And Father Groeschel, you know, he's got such a great sense of humor and that, big, that New York accent. And Father Benedict Groeschel said, Well, I guess God called me to become a priest because he has a sense of humor. Well, Mother Teresa was not amused. <laughs> Never cracked a smile. Mother Teresa looked at him and she said, Father, you are a priest because of the mercy of God. God called you to become a priest to bring His mercy to the world. He loves us. He wants us in heaven a million times more than we want to be in heaven. He has the power to save us. We've got to trust Him. We've got to pray. We've got to do our part. But we've got to trust Him. And we've got to tell Him that we believe that He is going to save our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren because He is. Um, we all know that in 2002, the terrible sex abuse scandal hit the Catholic Church. And since that time, it's caused horrible, horrible suffering. And um, so many people left the Catholic Church because of it. And it hurt the moral authority to teach. And of course, the, the 99% of good, holy, dedicated priests were maligned by those very, very sick few. The Catholic Church has been painfully pruned. And now she's beginning to bloom. Pope St. John Paul II, what did he talk about? A new springtime is upon us. Pope Francis, Pope Benedict, every Holy Father. And everybody says, well, Father, I can't see it. I can't see it. They're not coming to church. They're not doing what they're supposed to do. You know what? It's always darkest before the dawn, isn't it? It's true. We have to understand, he who does not read history is doomed to repeat it. The church always moves in this way. And you know what? We are a poorer church and we're a church on our knees and that's exactly the kind of church that God can use to save the world. On our knees, humble, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. And that's the church that, that's the church that we want to be. Um, in this context. And so I am optimistic um, always about um, where the Catholic Church... A new study just a couple of years ago shows over 600,000 of our youth and young adults are seriously <clears throat> considered a vocation to priesthood and religious life. And so I want to talk a little bit more now about some of the more practical things that we can do in our parishes, you know, with our committees. I've been talking and the school system as well, and things that we, we have to, uh, to, to do to try to do our 0.1%, right? 99.9% God's grace, 0.1% our human effort. By the way, if you and I are, are doing a school project together and you're doing 99.9% and I'm doing 0.1%, i am patting you on the back. That's all I'm doing, right? Because you're doing 99.9% of it. Sometimes our Sarah clubs will say things to me, Oh, Father, all the church ever asks us to do is to pray, pay, and obey. And I say, you know what? If this is 99.9% God's grace, 
we got to pray, don't we? we got to continue to pour our hearts out to Jesus and to beg Him to answer our prayers. Now, we live in a very secular culture. What does that mean? Secular means a plan of life that takes no account of where I came from, no account of where I'm going. Right? Secular culture is going to militate against hearing the lack of... Why do young men who are called to become priests sometimes often not become priests? Because they don't have good information. They don't know what to do next. And Satan's greatest weapon? Fear. When a young person does not know Jesus, they're not praying, and then Satan attacks them with fear. They're afraid their parents. What is my parents going to say? They're afraid of, I'm not worthy. Oh, Father, if you only knew the sins I've committed, you would know I could never become a priest. Fear of unworthiness, fear of loneliness, the church scandal, and the umbrella fear. Every young person says to me, Father, I want to be happy. And I fear that I will not be. And I'm like, Jesus is the only one that can bring you happiness. But you see, if they don't have that relationship with Him, they're not going to trust Him, are they? You're never going to lay down your life for a philosophy. You lay down your life for a person. And His name is Jesus. He is the fullness of truth. I love uh, Curtis Martin, you know, the um, founder of Focus. And I'm such a great speaker. And I was at the Focus conference once. Curtis Martin, he was talking to all the students. And he said to them, Okay, answer the question. True or false? One should always flush one's toilet at least once a week. Come on, answer the question. True, right? Well, how come you scrunched up your nose when you said true? Because it's not the fullness of truth, is it? The fullness of truth is one should flush one's toilet every time you use it for proper hygiene, right? Etc., etc. Now, what is the point here? Partial truths stink. And every heresy in the Catholic Church is a partial truth. That's why people are attracted. That's why people fall for heresies. Partial truth. But Jesus and His Holy Catholic Church is the fullness of truth. And that's what a young person is going to lay down their life for. And so introducing them back again to discipleship has got to be the bottom. This is why I wrote this book, To Save a Thousand Souls. I was a vocation director for 10 years, and I kept saying to other vocation directors and rectors, uh, listen, I need to give a handbook or something to help these guys discern once I meet with them. And they say, oh, we were hoping you had one. And then I was sent to Mount St. Mary's Seminary, and all the, voc- the vocation writers came and said, does anybody have a book? This is priesthood is essential to the Catholic Church. There must be something to guide. And there would be little pamphlets about celibacy and one about obedience, and, but there was not one resource. And one day I'm talking to my spiritual writer, we're talking about something completely different, and suddenly he simply says, Father Brett, I think God's calling you to write a book on how to discern a vocation to dust and priesthood. And I said... Why did you just say that? We're not even talking about that. And he said, because God has orchestrated your life to put you in the places where a book, to learn what a book like this needs to say. And I said, that's a very good answer. You know, it's ten years as a vocation director and then six years in the seminary from the other side. And so 
that's why I wrote to save a thousand souls and it just basically takes a guy all the way through goes through the fears what do I do next how do I know if I'm called to become a priest and then they would often ask me what about for women we need something for women for religious life and I said I'm sorry but I don't know anything about religious life and I'm not writing a book about it and um, and uh, did you know that this year this year four new books are coming out written by religious sisters on how to discern a vocation to religious life. I know because I've written the endorsements for three of them. And they're all very different, but they're excellent, excellent books. So the Holy Spirit is moving here, is my point, and getting these resources out that, um, that we need. Then we learned at the ordination class every year, Kara does a study. Every year, consistently, 50 to 60% of those ordained priests were actively discouraged from becoming a priest by a parent or a family member. 50 to 60% of those being ordained. How many thousands never went to the seminary who should have because their parents or another family member actively discouraged them? And why did they actively? Because they're, they're a dirty, rotten? No. They love their children, but because they don't have good information... And they don't know the fact that greater than 90% of all priests say they would choose priesthood again, that they're happy and they love what they do. That's a fact. Compare that to marriage if you want to. <laughs> now, the point is not that. The point is we want the person to do the will of God, don't we? Right? Because the will of God always brings happiness. Jesus has a plan. And it's that's why I wrote this book for parents and family members that answers, tries to answer those questions and gives them good information um, so that they know uh, what. So, uh, first of all, I know it's time to throw out the nets again. Okay, this new springtime is upon us and the Holy Spirit is moving. Okay, we got to do our part and I know you're willing to do your part in our parishes and let's talk now very specifically about some things that we can do. All right? Did you know that most priests today do not invite young men to consider priesthood? Matthew Kelly has a great line. He's answering a different question. But the answer is the same. You don't try to share something with others unless you feel really good about it yourself. And I said, I work with a lot of priests and sometimes those priests are discouraged. They're kind of frustrated and they're overworked and they're, they're, you know, and they're good men but, they're, but they're, they're struggling a little bit. They're not flourishing as priests. And when you're not flourishing as a priest, you're not going to be too quick to encourage someone else. Typically, our greatest recruiters are going to be seminarians and newly ordained priests. Why? They're still excited, aren't they? As the priest said, they're not jaded yet, right? They haven't seen. And, and there's a lot of truth to that. And that's why Mother Teresa, St. Mother Teresa, always says the reformation of the church will always follow the reform of the priest helping our priests be what we're supposed to be, right? And the great news that I have for you tonight is this, and that is that priestly formation today is the best it has ever been in the history of the Catholic Church. The genius of St. John Paul II, who wrote this encyclical, Pastor Stable Vobis, which describes priesthood and priestly formation, and now the PPF, the Program of Priestly Formation, in every country of the world, is based upon that document. Now, I was ordained in 91. I thought that the... 1991, I thought the the formation I received was excellent. What we give our men today is light years better. It is so balanced and so good. 
Isn't that wonderful? And it, it, they become, I mean, my gosh, the poor Reformation, that was one of the great gifts of the Counter-Reformation, right? It was the establishment of seminaries and try to get some consistency in how we train our future priests because no priests are better than bad priests. No priests are better than bad priests. And so we need our priests. These are good men. And that's so wonderful. You know, we every year at Mount St. Mary's, we have family weekend and all the parents and come and, you know, and we would, I was in charge of the overall formation program and human formation specifically. And we give a little talk on all the different four pillars of, you know, the four pillars of priestly formation are academic, intellectual, of course, spiritual, human formation, and pastoral formation are the four pillars. And so we'd give them talks and explain how we train these men. And of course, afterward, never failed, a mother would come over and say, Father, that is awesome. He said, I need to stay in the seminary. Can I stay? And I said, no, you can't stay. (laughs) The best education the Catholic Church has to offer is given to our men who are called to be priests. And did you know that some men are called to go to the seminary who are not called to be priests? Some men God calls to go to the seminary and there they're formed, they're at their daily holy hour, they learn their theology, they learn this relationship with Jesus. They're greatly strengthened and then God calls them out every year. At the end of the year, when I was vice rector, I'd have some guys, Father, need an appointment. I knew what it was already. And they say, Father, I've been talking with my spiritual director. I'm doing everything the seminary's asked me to do. I'm studying and I'm praying and I'm, I'm not talking to girls or emailing or, and I'm being, I'm being very faithful to the formation program. I'm not at peace and I haven't been at peace for a year and a half. I have to go. And I say, thank God. Thank you so much for answering the call of God when He called you to come to the seminary. And thank you for answering the call of God when He called you to leave. Go now and do that work. And these men often are our great lay leaders, aren't they? They do tremendous work in the church. God sent them there to form them and prepare them. Isn't that awesome? And remember the old system. I remember the older, older priest in my diocese would say, Oh my gosh, someone would come home from the seminary and everybody would say, Oh, poor family. He must be so embarrassed. I can't believe he came home from the seminary. The whole family is shamed. What are they ashamed for? But what, that was a mentality, wasn't it? Crazy. He should have come home if he wasn't called to become a priest. You know? Father Benedict Groeschel said, you know, after the Second Vatican Council, he said, you know, a lot of men left the priesthood. And he said, a lot, of, a lot more didn't who should have. Wow. What was he saying? They didn't believe. Bad priest. No priest are better than bad priest. But a good priest can do so much good. Oh my gosh. Simply being at his battle station, celebrating Mass, loving the people. We used to teach in the seminary, the most important three qualities in a Catholic priest are be kind, be kind, be kind. The people of God deserve kind priests who are going to love them and take care of them. I was in an African-American parish a St. Peter Claver in Macon, Georgia. And um, it was a lovely parish. And I had Hispanics as well. And I'll never forget, I had this one guy that'd show up about every once a month or so. And, um, and he was kind of a rough-looking guy. And he wore all black. And he had um, tattoos. And he had piercings. And, you know, and uh, he would always sit right in the front row. And he would look right at me. You know, and, um, so anyway, I hadn't seen him for a while. So one Sunday after Mass, I'm greeting the people. 
And um, so I'm greeting the people, and all of a sudden he's standing right there, and he says, Father, you're here! And he just grabs me and hugs me. And I'm thinking to myself, yes, I'm the pastor of this parish Sunday morning. Where else would I be? You see? And he stops. And now remember, they've got like three or four little African-American ladies that are waiting to say hello to me in line right here, you see. And he says, oh, Father. He said, um, he said I've been a bad boy. He said, I haven't been to Mass. You haven't seen me lately, have you? And I said, no, I don't think I've seen you. Oh, Father. He said, I've been taking drugs and I've been having sex. And the women are going, oh, my God. I mean, he's making a public confession. And he said, Father, he said, I woke up this morning and I felt so bad about what I did last night. He said, God spoke to me. You know what God said? God said, go down to St. Peter Claver. Father Brandon will be there. And you're here. (laughs) And he hugs me. And he walks away. He said, come and see. Father, I'm coming to see you in confession. After he walked away, I'll, I'll never forget, the words just came... The words of the sacred liturgy, look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church. He did not have confidence in his faith. He had confidence in mine. And I just remember going, Jesus, please just let me be at my battle station. Just let me be there when people come. Even if they come and they go, that's how faith and how, how faith and free will work. People come and go, don't they? We wish everybody was there every day at Mass, but guess what? That's not happening. But Jesus is still the Savior of the world, isn't He? And that's why He calls men, that's why He calls men to be priests. We have no information about what God might have done had certain people in the history of the church said yes to His call. We only have information about what God did do because certain people said yes. Like you, you said yes to come tonight to be a part of this vocation committee, willing to give yourself and say, Jesus, tell us what to do. We'll do our best to do our part, to work with you, to bring forth vocations, a priesthood, and religious life. Um, Pope Benedict said, it is, let us be quite frank, the ability to cultivate vocations to the priesthood and religious life is a sure sign of the health of the local church. There is no room for complacency in this regard. And, and what this means is that there are times when bishops, God bless them, I mean, they've got 30 parishes and they've only got 20 priests and they, they have to try to... It's their job to supply the sacraments and Holy Mass. So sometimes they'll bring in some priests from India or some priests from Mexico or, or they'll do different things like that. And, you know, of course, that has its own issues. Some of these men are wonderful. You know, they're missionaries. God bless them. I'm not what missionaries are made of. Thank you, Jesus, for not calling me to be a missionary. So I, mean, I admire and honor them. But at the same time, a healthy church produces its own vocations because they work together, they pray together, and they invite their young men, which is where we're going to go in now very, very quickly. As I talked about St. Augustine, we have to do our part. God, God who created you without you will not save you without you. Now, Father Tom Richter writes in his little book, the main reason young people do not consider priesthood is because they've never been personally asked. Number two, Men first consider priesthood more than 80% of the time because another priest encouraged them. And yet, number three, the great majority of priests in our country don't encourage men to be priests. Surveys show only about 30%. So we priests have to do our part. And I do this for for clergy, you know, for different uh, presbyterates. I talk about these things because we all know who the ideal priest is.
There's no such thing as an ideal priest, is there? God can use any man who's called to be a priest. And sometimes the man with the fewest gifts is the one who does the greatest good. Prosperity is the most dangerous situation of man, the Spanish proverb says. You know what I'm talking about? That young priest that, oh my gosh, he's, he looks like a Ken doll and the kids follow him around like a, you know, and he's, oh, this is going to be God's gift to the diocese and everybody's talking about Father Wonderful. You know what? A lot of times um, he's not a priest in five years. There's nothing worse than a proud priest. A priest has to know that we're nothing. Jesus is everything. It's Jesus that people want. And so when I was a vocation director and a vice rector, I would always, the Lord would always, um, um, he would, the guy would come to the seminary and say, oh my gosh, this guy's going to be such a great priest. He's, such a, he's so personable and people love him and he's smart as a whip and he's prayerful and that guy over there, why do they send him? That gummit. We're going to have to spend so much time working on him and guess which one made the great priest. The Lord was always reminding me that it's not the man with the greatest gifts, it's not the greatest one, it's the one who does the most with the gifts he's received. And in the priesthood, we have to realize that we're nothing without him. John chapter 10, Jesus said, Without me, you can do nothing. And that's so important for us to understand. All right, we've got to move quickly. Um, I want to talk about discipleship. We've already talked about that everything in every program, whatever you make, are we making sure our young people have this relationship with Jesus? 30% of all male-focused missionaries go to the seminary. Do you know that? You know what focus is? Fellowship of Catholic University Students. Why is that? Because they teach. We learn. We say we learn by teaching, right? We have to stand up and teach. We learn. We really learn when we have to do that. Like if you stand up and teach Sunday school, you learn your faith a lot better, don't you? And this is what focus is all about, making disciples of Jesus Christ, isn't it? Did you know that 51 NET alumni have been ordained priests in the last 17 years? You know what NET is? National Evangelization Teams. And there are many, many more in the seminary right now. These are the kinds of programs, this is what I was talking about, that, um, that make disciples, and that's why they're going to be... I know we've got to be patient and say, well, I need, I need priests right now. And I always say, yeah, Albert Einstein says, the most powerful force in the world is compound interest. And what does that mean? I'm in a parish where I've been there for a hundred years. The people are filled with faith. And they talk about the faith of their parents and the faith of their grandparents. I wasn't even born yet. And yet I'm there reaping that, right? The benefits of that. We reap what we sow, right? What we don't sow and we sow what we don't reap. And the work you're doing, you may never see. We may be in heaven before we see that. But we have to do that work because we love the church, right? And we love Jesus Christ and we love His children. We want what God wants. Again, same kind of thing I was talking about Pope Benedict. Young people, if they know how to pray, not just to say prayers, they can be trusted to know what to do with God's call. I say to my kids when they're leaving 8th grade, if Jesus is, is Jesus your best friend, are you a disciple? Do you love Him? Do you know Him? Are you going to stay close to Him? Because if you don't, I failed and you're in danger. If you're not a disciple of Jesus... I don't know what's going to happen to you. But if you are, I'm not concerned about you at all. 
Jesus is Savior with a capital S. He knows how to save His people. If you're talking to Him and listening to Him and loving Him and trying to serve Him, you're going to be saved. There's no question in my mind. And that's something. So you say, Father, what's the silver bullet? The answer is Jesus. But it starts with discipleship and not assuming just because they know the Ten Commandments that they have that relationship with Him. Everybody with me? Okay. Yes, it's sad that 80% of our Catholic young people leave the church by the time they're 23 years old. It's one of the things we do in, our, in my school. We have this classroom vocation prayer. Every day, a student leader stands up and says, We pray through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary that Jesus will call at least one boy from this class to be a priest and at least one girl from this class to be a religious sister. And then together the class prays the memorari. When I come in or the vocation director comes in, I said, Have you all been praying that prayer that's on that poster? Yes, Father. I say, Well, who's going to be the priest? And they'll go... <laughs> Who's going to be the sister? And I always say, if you pointed, you're the one. <laughs> now, what's going on here? Out of sight, out of mind, right? Every day, a student is standing up and saying, please, God, please, through the intercession of the Blessed Mother, send us a priest from this class. Send us at least one sister from this class. It's in their mind, you see? They're praying for it. And then when God does call them, they say, oh, I've been praying for this all these years. Do you see what I mean? Uh, my father, God, God bless him, you know, is the Baptist. My mother, you know, growing up, we had, uh, you know, in my room, every child, the four of us, she had a big crucifix above the bed, right above the bed where we slept. And there was a Bible on the bedside table because we read a little bit of God's Word every night. And our rosary was hanging from the bedpost because it said a decade of the rosary. And, of course, there was a statue of the Blessed Mother over in the corner. And there was holy water by the door because she would bless us as she would go. And my poor dad, God bless him, come in. For God's sake, do we have to make the house look like a church? And, of course, but my friends would come over and say, Oh, y'all are Catholic, but gave it away. <laughs> you know, now, but I'm going to tell you something in my house. Out of sight, out of mind, I always saw Jesus everywhere I looked. I was always reminded that Jesus is the answer to which every human heart is the question. As St. John Paul says, Jesus is the answer to which every human heart is the question. And so, you can't be attracted to something you don't see. If we don't keep priesthood and religious life in front of the eyes of our children and remind them this is an option, you could be called to this, then, of course, and this is where Blessed Hannibal de Francia writes, vocations in the church, they don't come by chance. You can't make them out of human efforts. They only come, they come to the, from us from the mercy of God. If we do not pray, they will not be given to us. Here's what I want to get to now before we finish up tonight. And I work with vocations for all these years. I have developed what I believe are the four eyes of every vocation. Alright? Inspiration, invitation, information, intimacy with Jesus. And the S stands for service. In other words, a young person, they come to Mass on Sunday, they see a sister serving heroically, they see their priest washing the feet on Holy Thursday night, they hear a sermon, and they go, Wow! The Holy Spirit inspires them. That's the first step that happens. But then there has to be an invitation. 
And that invitation can come from many different ways. I talked about priests. It's real important that we priests do it. But it's also important that, as I always talk about, the Holy Land of Jerusalem. You know what the Holy Land of Jerusalem are? Every time any parish church door is opened, the Holy Land of Jerusalem come walking in with the rosary beads. They're the faithful, daily communicants. Oh my gosh, the holy women of Jerusalem have invited many a young man to become a priest. They drove me crazy when I was growing up. (laughs) Yes, you've already asked me. I'm thinking about it. Leave me alone. I don't want to be a priest. And you know, when and when I open up my door, you know, every morning, and you know, and here come the holy women. I always just when I always you know when they come in, I go, holy women of Jerusalem, holy women. Oh, Father, we're not holy. They are holy. Oh my gosh, they love Jesus Christ. They love the church. They want they want every person to go to heaven. And they are the the backbone of the church. My word. But many vocations die on the vine because they don't know what to do next. They've been, in, they've been inspired, they've been invited, but they don't know what to do next. We've got to get them information to overcome their fears and where to go next and what to do next to get them in touch with the vocation director, <clears throat> get them the good information so they know how to discern. And we've already talked about number four, which really should probably be number one, and that is... That, that friendship with Jesus. Very often as a vocation director, I would say to a young man, I really think you should come to this retreat I'm having this weekend because I think God could be calling you. Father, God's not calling me to become a priest. I know I'm called to be married and I'm called to have a family. I just know it. I said, okay, good. So we know that. You're called to marriage and family. And probably you're going to have some sons, right? Yeah, I hope so, Father. And one of those sons might be called to be a priest, right? I guess that's possible. And you're going to need to be able to guide him when he's discerning priesthood, right? Yeah, so you need to come to this retreat. (laughs) Now, do you see what I just did? As I took the pressure off of him by saying, I accept that you're not called to become a priest. He doesn't know what he's called to do. He's in ninth grade. (laughs) But he's scared. And so we've got to help him overcome those fears Just come and listen. Priests are happy. They're fulfilled. It's a great life for those who are called. Okay? So, and this project is, is, um, is, I think about 6,000 men have gone through it since it started on college campuses all over the United States. We now have a vocation Bible school uh, program that Vinnie Vocations does as well. So it's just the whole Bible school is based on vocations that are vacation. And, um, uh, we've already talked about that. Here, here's my great uh, service. Sorry about that. Um, many young people find their true God predetermined vocation by immersing themselves in serving others. Father's just come back from Jamaica where he took a group um, with the mustard seed community there. And he's been telling me stories the whole time I've been here, so much so that I want to go. And about bringing these young people, excuse me, um, to these to these persons who are handicapped persons and serving them. And the young people come back. Their hearts are changed. Why? God made the human heart to serve. We're going to be happy only when we're giving ourselves as a gift to others. Okay? It's very important every diocese 
only has a certain number of gold mines. Now, every parish is a place where we can mine and encourage young people to consider priesthood and religious life. But most dioceses just have a couple of gold mines. Now, in Savannah, we have two gold mines and with regard to vocations. One of them is Georgia Southern University. It has 25,000 students. And the 25,000 students, um, we also have focused missionaries there. And, oh my gosh... And when I was the pastor there, when I first came home for the seminary for two years, and I would say to my two male-focused missionaries, Melchizedek Project is going to be Wednesday night. I want 15 men there. Father, we got it taken care of. Text, Facebook, all the ways young people communicate. We bribed them. I had pizza. I had ice cream. You know, we all kind of, hey, listen, get them there any way you can. And uh, we'd have 15 to 20 men Every, 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 these were just good men, loved the Catholic Church. And some of them were saying, I'm sure I'm called to marriage. Good, I want you to come. We need the marriage perspective in this discussion group. And you get them there, and then you see the Holy Spirit begin to work. But that was Georgia Southern University. We've ordained to think about seven priests from that university in, in the last 10 or 15 years. And the other gold mine in Savannah is called the Alleluia Community. It's a charismatic ecumenical community in Augusta, Georgia, though it's about 90-95% Catholic. And um, they, the Ali community, uh, uh, when I was the vocation director and I would have a retreat, Ali community would send me three vans filled with young men, 30 young men. The entire rest of the diocese would send me three or four. Vocation director's dream. And they were there and they, they knew how to serve and they loved the Lord and they wanted to do the will of God. And they were like leaven in the dough. We've ordained 15 priests from the Ali community in the last 10 years. Now, every diocese only has a couple of gold mines. Some priests are going to have more of a gift at mining than others. Some priests are great scholars. Some priests are great in administration and the chancery. That's not me. But we've got to get those men that know how to mine into our gold mines or we are shooting ourselves in the foot. And I have been to dioceses where they have a university of 30,000 students. And they've not had a seminarian out of there in 25 years. And you just can't let the mother load of the diocese go unmined. Do you see what I mean? And the bishop will tell you, well, I've had the certain religious order there for all these years, and if I pull them out, they may not send anybody back, and I don't know what to do. I'm like, Bishop... My strong advice to you, get someone in there that knows how to mine because you're letting the mother load of the diocese um, go. Very important. I have a poster in the back of my church. It's not exactly this one, but this one's similar to it. It has the same picture. And basically, it just simply says, as soon as you walk into the back of my Catholic church, it's the first thing you see. And it says, every young man who loves Jesus Christ and his Catholic church should seriously ask himself the question, is Jesus Christ calling me to be a Catholic priest? And then underneath that it says, do you love uh, Jesus Christ? And the guy's going, yeah. And it says, do you love the Catholic church? And the guy's like, yeah. And then it says, have you done this? Question mark. And then underneath it has information about where to go to get more good information, Melchizedek Project, etc., etc. It's the first thing you see. One of the things we need to look at in our parishes, do you need a magnifying glass in two hours to find any reference to priesthood in the back of your church? 
The ministry of priests is essential. We've got to have very, very uh, obvious... We've got to make it easy. Out of sight, out of mind. And this is very, very important that, that we do this. Okay? I think she came and spoke to y'all before, right, last year? Rhonda Greenwald, amazing story. A former, she, she's a convert to the Catholic faith. That's a great little book. I mean, there are ideas in there I never thought of. I've been doing this for all these years. And I thought, how'd you come up with all this good stuff? So it's a great little book, especially to kind of, you know, let's, let's pick five or ten things we're going to do this year in the parish then, and um, let's just try to implement those five or ten. Of course, the church gives us certain days, specifically ones coming up a week from Sunday, World Day of Prayer for Vocations, where, um, you know, it's the perfect time for to really celebrate vocations and to, um, uh, you know, for pastor to tell his vocation story, to invite the general as well as, as the specific. Okay? You don't want to let those days go by um, without. Okay? Um, oftentimes I'll do this for priests as well. I just ask them to evaluate themselves. I've consistently prayed for and done many things to encourage priests of vocation. I have prayed and worked, but not as much as I should. I've done just a few things. I've done nothing. And I'm just being honest. There's some priests out there that kind of they're, they're really hurting. And they'll say, not only have I done nothing, but I've discouraged men. And, and I ask these priests, and I ask you as well, whatever you're doing right now, would you consider moving it up just one or two digits and let the Holy Spirit take it from there? This is a new springtime. The Holy Spirit can do great things. It's time to let down the nets again. You know? The Holy Spirit is moving. Nothing can replace the ministry of priest in the heart of the church. I think I need to end because I think we've gone long enough. But let's just maybe open it up for some questions or discussion. Or Yes. Regarding the Melchizedek Project, how does that get started in the college campus? Do kids know about it, hear about it? Do the focus missionaries start it? How does that get going? Um, usually, we send out to every campus ministry in the United States, we send little cards reminding whoever the campus minister is. Now, what happens to that card, we don't know. Whose desk it goes across. But it reminds whoever the Newman director is, if it's a priest, if it's a layperson, sister... And we invite them and say, this is available. Or you can just go to MelchizedekProject.com and all the information comes right up. All you got to do is have at least really one guy who's willing to talk about priesthood. It doesn't have to be a priest that meets with him, but obviously that's the best because he's the one who knows priesthood. you know. But um, So it's very, very easy to get. If you can just get a couple of guys that are going to be willing to meet at seven sessions in the fall seven sessions in the spring, and there's two years' worth of, of, of the program, um, everything is completely free. But as I said, getting them there is the hardest part. You know, So you have to kind of... Like I was talking to the high school students, the high school teachers the other day, and I, religion teachers, and I was saying, bribe them. One letter grade in your religion if you come to seven sessions of Melchizedek Project. You know, do what you have to do. Get them there. 
because once you get them there, and then they can say, oh, I'm not interested in preset. I'm just going until I'm getting a free letter grade. Good. Let them say that to their friends. Get them there and let the Holy Spirit work, you see. Yes, sir. I was just thinking as you were talking and some of your stats and just thinking about my own boys. I've got two, my oldest uh, two children are sons, and we love having priests in our home, but it's really hard to get a priest in our home. And uh, I, I don't know, something you said just uh, made me think of the, the time that they have regular kind of ongoing access to the priest is they love to altar serve, you know, and that's uh, something they do on a regular basis. And, yeah. I don't know if you have any stats about. It seems like Kira normally asks questions about when you guys are coming oh, up yeah. to your name and what they're. Yeah, the huge majority, I don't know what the statistic exactly is, but the huge majority will say that they served regularly. They served Mass regularly. Always been, because they're around the priest, they're around the Holy Mass. You know, they look at the faces of the people kneeling in prayer. Is there, and um, so, you know, it's just always going to be a, a great opportunity to promote. Yeah. And just, you know, it gives you an opportunity. You're back there, the guys are getting ready, and you're talking with them. You say a little prayer before you go out. You know, I'll point to that that poster. I have that in the sacristy as well, and especially a really good guy, you know. Sometimes I don't even say anything. I just kind of tap him on the shoulder, and I point to the poster. And I just go, you know, I mean, little ways. But the guys know, and they're praying about it. Let the Holy Spirit take it from there, you know. Okay. And just because as a parent, I just see that as one of the ways as a spiritual father that you lead those children to Jesus and then Jesus does the work in their hearts. Right. Yeah, it's a newly ordained um, it's a newly ordained priest. I was at St. Teresa's Church in Albany, Georgia, and um, I would every Friday I would go into the school and I would hear the children's confessions. No one was forced to come, but I taught them about the sacrament. And I set up a little confessional down in the hall, and the kids used to always come. They would line up down the hall, and um, as I say, they may have just trying to get out of math class. I don't know, but they were there, and um, and they would line up down the hall, and they would come, and I would always give them. I would give them the same penance. And the penance was, after school today, I want you to throw your book bag in your mom's car and I want you to go into the church and I want you to kneel right in front of where Jesus is present in the Holy in the Blessed Sacrament. And I want you to say, not with your mouth, but with your heart, I want you to say, Jesus, I love you. And the children love that penance. And I would give it all the time. By the end of the year, the kids I know my penance, Father. I said, that's right. <laughs> and I was a newly ordained priest. And I would go at 3 o'clock on Friday afternoon. And I would go and I would sit in the balcony, kind of behind the organ, so where they couldn't see me. And when the bell would ring, I would see all these little children come running into the church, you know. And, you know, genuflecting like only a third grader can genuflect, you know. And then they would all be kneeling around the tabernacle. And then, of course, they would jump up and out. They would run because their mom's waiting for them. And I remember I would sit there and I was just marveling at that. And I remember I developed one of the, the axioms or, or slogans that I use as a Catholic priest. And that is bring people to Jesus and get out of the way. The purpose of a priest is to bring people to Jesus and Jesus to people. 
It is not clericalism or elitism to say that there is no other vocation that can do that as powerfully as a Catholic priest. And that is why the way Jesus has set up His church. I didn't say I'm worthy to be a priest. We're not. We're sinners. I didn't become a priest because I wanted to. I became a priest because God called me to be a priest. And those are the ones we want to become our priest too. You can't call yourself to be a priest. Um, I just wanted to give a little bit of a, a personal plug for some um, uh, experience that I've had. By the way, I'm from Birmingham, Alabama. And I can hear that great accent. Horrible, <laughs> 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 yeah. Uh, but Jacques mentioned about um, altar serving. Yeah. Um, is, is, is that the Archdiocese of Atlanta? Is it Atlanta? Atlanta is an archdiocese in the north. We're the southern part of the state. Oh, okay. Savannah. Well, there's a parish um, just outside of Atlanta called uh, St. Francis de Sales in Mableton, Georgia, and it is uh, run by the priestly fraternity of St. Peter. My uh, parish here in Rapid City is also a priestly fraternity parish. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the priestly fraternity, um, they are an order whose charism is exclusively to, to uh, offer the liturgy as it was practiced uh, according to the Missal in 1962. They call it the extraordinary form now. But then it gave it. But um, every first Saturday, um, we have a girl's sodality and a group of boys that are called the Knights of the Altar. They all meet together in the church and they pray a rosary together, talk about some you know, theological things. All of this is right you know, under the tutelage of our, of our priest. But after that, the sodality goes and, and um, you know, they do the things that their group uh, does that's you know, appropriate for the girls. But the boys have altar server practice. Mm-hmm. My son is now an altar server. He's eight years old. But there's about 15 of those boys of various uh, ages all lined up at that altar rail, and Father is catechizing them about the Mass. He's teaching them Latin. He's teaching them the responses. He's teaching them what the meaning of all of these gestures and rubrics and responses are in the Mass. Mm-hmm. And I know that the priestly fraternity has been a tremendous success story as far as drawing invocations. They have one seminary in the United States for only 50 apostolates because it's a niche apostolate, obviously, in the Latin Mass, but they have 80 seminarians in there. And um, the one where um, the lady spoke, uh, Grunewald, last year, I was talking to uh, someone that was at that. I was at that one as well. And, you know, speaking about, yes, the, the pool that we're drawing from is larger because it's a nationwide pool, yeah. but it's very much a niche, um, you know, apostolate. But um, pound for pound, there's a lot of seminarians that are going to that order. And she, she said, well, why do you think that is? Because she was encouraged in her parish, you know, there's all kinds of ways that we could do new things to, you know, to draw to draw priests and all of that is very mm-hmm. good. But um, tradition also draws priests it as does. well. I, I think there's a lot to be learned, uh, you know, from that. I mean, we saw in your graphic there that there was an absolutely precipitous decline 
in the priesthood starting in the 60s and down, you know, it's starting to get a little bit of an, uh, an uptick now, but um, I think that there was a lot of wild things going on, you know, in the, in, in the wake of the council and so forth and so sure. on. That, that did cause a lot of confusion. And I think that a lot of these orders that are bringing about that new springtime are, are finding a lot of things foundationally that maybe we lost. And uh, I've just always encouraged people when it comes to vocations, look at these orders, look at these dioceses that are bustling and what is it they're, that they're generally doing. But as Jacques said, I, I think that altar serving and having that connection with the priest and those connections with those other young men is really, really integral to drawing them into the sacrifice of the Mass. And the beauty of the sacred liturgy is always going to be something that draws it. And I, I always always tell this this story because it was an amazing story of a of a um, a young boy who was twelve years old who um, was killed in a farming accident in my second parish. And um, the, you know the, the church was packed that day. It was thousands of people there, and it was so sad. Um, and um, I'll never forget, you know, of course, the Mass was very beautiful, and we had, and this church, St. Joseph's in Macon, was built by the Jesuits. It's a magnificent church, and, you know, beautiful high altar, and the altar, you know, the altar boys were like statues, they're so well trained, and I wasn't the pastor there at that time, um, but I went to the, I was in the next parish over, um, and, um, but, I mean, the, the, you know, the, the liturgy, and the funeral liturgy in the Catholic Church is so beautiful. With that Easter candle and with the incense and the servers and everything, the prayers. So the Mass is over, and I'm standing there, and this man walks up in a three piece suit, nice looking young man, and he says, Father, that was the most beautiful Mass funeral I have ever been to. He said, I have got to be buried like that. I said, You become a Catholic, we'll bury you just like that. You know what? He did. He went through RCIA and he became a Catholic because of the beauty of a very solemn liturgy. Isn't that something? And he saw tremendous reverence. He saw the meaning. Of the and he, he thought he was you know, Presbyterian growing up and he just thought, after what I've seen, he said, I, I've got, I've got to have this. Isn't that something? We do have a great treasure in, in our Catholic faith. And so, um, the way we can bring that to our young people, you know. Yeah. What about bringing it to old people? <laughs> <laughs> what is uh, the age limit or that the Catholic Church would, I want to say, necessarily discourage somebody if they feel that they have calling? <clears throat> familiar with your book, you know, there was a chapter on the age and not a fast track because, you know, you had stated that you know, we're not just going to take anybody off the street just to fill the churches with priests. Um, but uh, I think what I understood too is that kind of got to want to get a return off of somebody. You want someone going there and they don't have that much of a longevity kind of deal. So what, at what age would you discourage someone from Pursuing that to maybe going into uh, different ministry inside their church or something like that. With Dawson priesthood and with religious life, every every bishop is going to have his own regulation with regard to um, how young he'll take a guy, how old he'll take a guy, and um, a bishop, you know, obviously a, a priest can do great work and, and great things can happen. 
But a bishop does also have to look honestly to be a good steward of the people's money. You know, how many years is this guy and it's going to, I'm going to spend $250,000 to get him ordained a priest and then is he going to give me five years of priestly service and then he's going to get sick or die or retire. And so a bishop's going to have to make that prudential judgment um, based upon his own diocese, you know. I would never discourage anyone from going and talking to the vocation director. You can't discern diocesan priesthood without the church. And the church is represented by the vocation director. And so I always say, go to the vocation director, tell him your story, and let him talk with you about it. And let him go to the bishop and, and see. And sometimes another diocese over that needs priests maybe more badly, that bishop might be willing to take that man even though he's a little bit older. Remember that the number of years is not, you know, you don't become a priest quickly. You know, after college, you know, you're still going to have, most men are still going to have six years after college, unless they go to a college seminary. And so, I mean, you know, you can have a doctorate in that same amount of time, right? So, um, I would say, especially if a man is already older, I don't know if you're speaking about yourself or somebody else, um, I would say, go now. If you think God may be calling you to become a priest, go. Talk to the vocation writer, get good information, and see where the Holy Spirit leads you. You know. Holy Apostles Seminary in Cromwell, Connecticut, I think is pretty well known for taking later vocations. Mm-hmm. So there's avenues, you know, for later vocations. But you have to have a bishop. You know? Holy Apostles will sometimes take a guy for a year while he's looking for a diocese. I don't know if they still do that or not. But remember that a guy just can't go to the seminary. And sometimes you'll have guys say, well, i got the money. I'm just going to go and pay my way and then I'll decide what dice to join. No. You must be sponsored by a bishop because you're not studying to be an independent priest. You're studying to be a priest of a diocese. This is why we say St. Moses is a great patron saint of Dawson priesthood. Do you know why? Because Moses was called to a particular people in a particular place and he was called to lead them to the promised land. That's what a parish priest does. We are called, I am called to the Diocese of Savannah. I am called to the people of Blessed Sacrament Catholic Parish right now. I'm called to lead them to the promised land. And so I think Moses is a great patron saint. Yeah, I just wanted to thank Father uh, Brett uh, for coming. He's been here since Wednesday. And he's you know, uh, it's, it's spoken to a lot of groups about just trying to create this, this culture of, of vocation. So how I'd like to end the night, this is all of us, when we just go into the sanical, there's quite a few of us, it's a small chapel, but I just asked us to kneel in front of the Blessed Sacrament or, 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 or sit and just to, to talk to Jesus, right? Just to speak to Him from your heart. Jesus, I love you, Jesus. I adore you, Jesus. I glorify you. Just speak to Jesus about what happened to your heart tonight. As you heard, our diocese trying to create a culture of vocation begins with each of us, right? It begins with a personal and intimate relationship with Christ. Uh, and then just to beg the Lord to send more priests yeah, to, our, to our diocese. Send uh, more religious. And then we'll just end uh, with a litany 
uh, uh, to pray uh, for priesthood. So we'll just go into the Senate call. So we'll just, what's that? We have a five-minute break. Oh, oh five-minute break and then go in there. <laughs> <laughs>